Hi, my name is Pete Scazzaro. I want to welcome you today to the Emotionally Healthy Leader podcast. Our topic today is five questions to guide you in decision-making. Five questions to guide you in decision-making. Over the last two months, I've done a series on the rich themes of emotionally healthy spirituality to mark uh, the release of the Emotionally Healthy Discipleship Course Leaders Kit Expanded Edition, which came out, touching on topics like know yourself that you may know God, go back to go forward, grief and loss, etc., silence, the daily office, a rule of life. And Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, as we've talked about, is an introduction, it's a framework for a biblical operating system robust enough for discipleship and leadership to deeply transform lives, create healthy culture, and actually offer a whole new way of following Jesus and offering uh, a way of looking at life and the world and God. So today, I want to make a high-level application of this material to decision-making or discernment, and particularly around a large decision that I made recently using these five questions. Uh, and I pray that these five questions will help you in uh, making your own decisions and discernment uh, that perhaps you're facing today. But before I launch into them, uh, let me invite you to download a free course preview of the first session of the course with a video and a workbook. Uh, you know, it's got the free workbook there, sessions there, and you can experience it for yourself and, and taste it. It's actually the fruit of 26 years of work. It's got many depths and layers, as you're going to see here today. So again, just check out check it out at emotionallyhealthy.org slash preview. That's emotionallyhealthy.org slash preview. And uh, check out that course just for yourself, at least the first uh, session of each part of that, okay? Great. Now let's dive in here to our topic of five questions to guide you in decision-making. Now, uh, this particular one that I made uh, recently uh, was made, in a sense, out of an intense uh, discernment time over three to six months. But really, it had a long incubation period of wrestling uh, internally, uh, and it had to do with my priorities and external speaking in my role and what I sensed were God's priorities for me in this season. So I actually published a, a statement uh, of this decision on our website. Uh, if you look at it and you go to About Pete's, uh, you'll, you can read it. Uh, and it was the reason I'm going to use this as a case study because I think it's very helpful uh, as we think through high-level applications of what we're trying to do here in emotionally healthy discipleship. Uh, this was a difficult decision, actually. There were many challenges involved in it, and it really was a very high level of uh, the work we've been doing here over decades. So here's what it says on the website uh, that you can check it out on about Pete. Uh, it says, update on external speaking and priorities. And here's what I wrote. After a great deal of prayer, reflection, and counsel, I have decided that I will no longer accept speaking engagements, whether in person or via Zoom, for interviews, workshops, or classes, aside from a very few pre-existing commitments. Why? I have a deep sense from God to focus on prayer, study, the mentoring of pastors and leaders, and writing, in particular, an emotionally healthy marriage course that will include a book, workbook, and a streaming video. That deep sense of sentness applies also to giving visionary leadership to EH Discipleship and her mission to transform church culture through the multiplication of deeply changed leaders and disciples, as well as delivering 
weekly podcasts and occasionally speaking at emotionally healthy events or webinars. And I've become convinced that it's not possible, I'm sorry, I've become convinced that it's not wise or prudent to be distracted from the work I feel I cannot not do, especially in light of the diminishing amount of time available to me. My work has always been done in local, intimate settings, such as our local church when I was lead pastor, and now in my work mentoring leaders and pastors. While I've done some traveling to speak in the past, it was always difficult for me. The increasingly alien and impersonal nature of it finally grew to this point when I realized this season was over. I am confident this is the right thing to do, indeed the necessary thing to do, and I trust future long-term fruit will bear out the wisdom of this decision. All right, my question is, how did I get there? Uh, And as I said earlier, it was a process. And so I think these five questions uh, will serve you, as they've served me over the years, uh, in making decisions that they're not uh, moral ones, that necessarily from Scripture, um, but they're 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 like yes within the compassing of scripture of course we're committed to but how do i discern which priority do i take both are in a sense acceptable uh, from a biblical point of view but how do i know which so again here's five questions that i trust will serve you the first question is this to what degree on a scale of one to ten am i open to the will of god now in my case i had been speaking i've been doing i've been speaking for over 40 years uh, within six, six months of coming to Jesus, I was giving talks. Uh, and in so many ways, I just felt like that's what I'm supposed to do. I mean, I, I've always been an over-responsible one. I, I have to speak, right? I've, I've got gifts in that area. And, and of course, in the early days especially, I loved getting the validation. Uh, it was like, wow, people are listening to me. This is amazing. Uh, and I'm sure I didn't get much validation growing up in my family of origin, So, uh, as some of you may know, it can be like a drug uh, to be speaking and people actually listening to you. I'm also a high introvert. I'm sorry, I'm a high extrovert. So, I get energy from people. Uh, And so, the question is, first question is, to a degree, on a scale of 1 to 10, am I open to the will of God? Now, what helped me here in particular has been uh, the integration of core spiritual practices uh, that go back to 2,000 years of history that we've talked about a lot here. Things like the daily office, rhythms of stopping to be with Jesus, for me, three times a day on a consistent basis. I Silence and solitude are a core part of my following of Jesus. So um, I do a minimum of 20 minutes uh, every morning of stillness and silence before God, and I try to have good chunks of silence uh, during the day as well. And uh, it's been such an important practice to me that people like Meister Eckhart in the 1100s, his work on being empty and detached in a healthy way, losing one's life that one may gain, it has become very core to me of of, uh, of being like Mary in Luke chapter 1, empty so Jesus might be birthed in and through me. And so the whole thrust of uh, what EH Discipleship is about is slowing down to be before you do. Uh, and the integration of the Desert Fathers and the riches of the slow-down contemplative tradition through 2,000 years of history have been really uh, core to my whole journey in EH Discipleship the last 26-plus years. So that has really helped me in this decision uh, because I've got enough slowness in my life and I'm surrendering my will to his will 
many, many times each day because I'm so aware of my my will. My my will is very twisted and bent, and I can go off track within an hour. Uh, and so, this surrender thing has been uh, is part of my lifestyle, which has been very helpful. And as I wrestled with this difficult decision um, and such a shift, uh, such a big shift of something I've been doing for, as I said earlier, 40 years. Uh, so that's the first question. To what degree on a scale of one to 10 am I open to the will of God? But the second question to ask is, what do I sense God the Holy Spirit is saying from inside of me through consolations and desolations? What do I sense God the Holy Spirit is saying from inside of me through consolations and desolations? Now, these two terms uh, come from Ignatius of Loyola, uh, who's from northern Spain. He's the founder of the Jesuits, uh, and he lived over 500 years ago. And no, no work uh, or no person in the history of the church has been more helpful in discerning God's will uh, than Ignatius. Uh, his work on discovering God's will has endured all these years and centuries because of the balance between feelings and uh, the intellect or reason. And his key verse was, do not trust, dear friends, it was 1 John 4, 1, dear friends, do not believe every spirit. But test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. And he, he, he talked quite a bit about the important place of emotions or the inner gut to help us discern whether we're choosing God out of a place of surrender or our willful self. Now, again, it comes out of a theology that God, the Holy Spirit, lives inside of us, John 14, John 16, that God's not just with us, he's in us. And Jesus talked about the God of the universe has made his uh, has made his home in us, not just for a few, like in the Old Testament, prophets and kings and high priests, but actually every person uh, who's received Jesus, that God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have moved in to stay. That's the whole point of Pentecost, the miracle of Pentecost, that revolutionary reality. Christ ascends to heaven and sends the Holy Spirit to live inside of us. It's amazing. And so out of that, the Holy Spirit guides us from inside, not simply outside. So while we can't trust our feelings totally, and we can't be, they can't be blindly followed. They must be evaluated or discerned. And so he broke it down in two major areas, uh, discerning consolations and desolations. Now, consolations are the name given to those feelings that come as gifts of God's gracious presence. We, we have the sense inside of us that uh, there's peace, there's joy, there's, there's love, there's delight, there's life. And, and our soul is inflamed towards the love of God, uh, in the sense our, our souls light up and uh, we experience the presence of God. And, and, and often we can feel it in our, in our body as well as our emotions. In fact, for many of us, our body feels it first, uh, this kind of renewed energy and release of anxiety and strain, a sense of relaxation and peacefulness. And very often when we're experiencing consolation, it's often a good indication that we're in line with God's will. It can be a great gift. Now, at the same time, it can also be a form of escape that people say, oh, I feel consolation and great peace as I'm going to leave my spouse, okay? So anything can be uh, abused. That's why discernment is so important. But desolations refers to those the name given to those feelings that uh, when we're turning away from God, it includes things like a, he called it the darkness of soul, turmoil within, disquiet. It leads to death. It we're preoccupied, we're self-preoccupied in an unhealthy way. We're more negative, we're anxious, we're irritable, 
there's a spiritual turbulence, kind of like a plane churned upside down, and our energy is sapped, and we're our bodies tighten, our head, maybe headaches and stomach tightens, and our bodies again often know before uh, our minds, but our bodies we find ourselves moving away from God. Now again, there are times when desolations are not always bad because they may be God's way of breaking us out of patterns that no longer work, uh, and that's the case with me, as you'll see. Uh, and uh, so, but again, consolations and desolations has to do with our basic. Uh, life direction. Either we're moving away from God, uh, that's kind of like my will be done, or we're moving towards God. Lord, your will be done. So think of it this way, you know, and we want to, uh, consolations is about generally moving upstream, you know, towards, uh, I'm sorry, desolations is we're swimming upstream away from God, and consolations often we're moving, uh, consolations we're going towards God by floating with the current of the Holy Spirit. And so, so often, desolation uh, can be a nudge or a prod to a better choice. And uh, I think often about Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, and uh, he writes that he was on his way to Troas to preach the gospel, and he found that the Lord had opened a door for him, but he had no peace of mind, he writes, because I could not find my brother Titus there. So I said goodbye to them and went on to Macedonia. I wonder, very often, it was a sense of desolation for him, and he moved on. But for me... With regards to this decision of external speaking and getting invitations, when I would travel and speak, I'd have great desolation. Uh, I'd feel life draining out of me. Uh, it felt like a burden, something I had to do uh, because of my role. And this was going on actually for, uh, you know, a, a few years. Uh, and it grew with time. It didn't lessen. Uh, at the same time, when I'd be uh, writing or doing research or pondering and spending great deals, a, a great amount of time in prayer or uh, mentoring uh, pastors and leaders one-on-one, -on -one, I, I, I just found a great joy. I mean, I, I'd say to Jerry, I, I'd spent a whole day writing, and especially when I was writing the Emotionally Healthy Discipleship book, which was my first, last major, major project, I, I'd, I'd spent all day on it, and, and I'd say to Jerry, I feel like I just had a, 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 a vacation, you know? It, I, I, she, she, she'd shake her head, you know, because for her it would be horrible, be total desolation. But for me, it was such a consolation. Life would be flowing in me. But in regards to speaking and traveling, I just found myself struggling increasing over the years, and especially the last couple of years. Um, now, here, here was the challenge for me. And again, back to my family of origin and my genogram, which is a big part of the EH Discipleship course on a base level, going back on how our family of origins impacted who we are today. Uh, again, I grew up in a family where I was over-responsible as a child growing up. Uh, I was taking care of my mom, who was mentally ill at a very young age, and my whole life was taking care of her. And uh, so I wasn't a normal childhood. And so naturally, my, my, my lifestyle is in me, just take care of everybody else. Now, the world needs EH discipleship, and people would say that to me, and I'd feel guilty. Um, friends would call me and say, we need you to come do this, and oh, da, da, da. and people would make convincing arguments to me. And, and uh, so I, I would go, and it used to ever, I, I it's interesting, because when I was taking care of my mom in particular and over-functioning as a kid, it was never enough. Uh, and in some ways, there was a similar feeling to me of like, I've got to just go out there and speak for the world. I have to do it. It doesn't give me delight or joy. It's suffering. and But I, for, for me, but I have to do it because of my role. It must be God's will. And then it's all twisted in a theology, which I had in my early years as a Christian, that the more I suffer, the more God loves me. 
And um, so again, over a, a long period of time, it's all they get tangled, unentangled for me of like, you know, God's building his church. He, he's, he's got it. I, he doesn't need me. When I die, the kingdom of God's going to go on just fine without me. And, um, and so again, listening to Consolations Desolations was really a big piece for me to recognize that, boy, this, there is no life in there. Life is just out for me in terms of traveling and speaking. It didn't matter. In fact, in some ways, the larger the crowd, uh, it seemed that the worse I felt. Um, and uh, the last thing in the world I wanted to ever be was a celebrity. And so it seemed the very anti-opposite of the whole message of Jesus. And uh, so, uh, so there again, question one is, am I open to the will of God on a scale of one to ten? Uh, the second is, uh, what do I sense God the Holy Spirit saying from inside of me around consolations and desolations? Now, the third question is, what am I hearing from wise counsel? Question three is, what am I hearing from wise counsel? Now, I've gotten so much wise counsel over the years that has truly saved my life. Truly. In fact, Proverbs and Scripture is very clear on the wisdom of an abundance of counselors and getting wise counselors. And so, you know, I've, whether it's from spiritual directors or authority figures or mentors, uh, therapists, wise friends, whatever, mothers and fathers of the faith, but getting wise counsel from people who've gone before us, especially in the areas that we're wrestling with, is really key. Now, I didn't have, I didn't have any models here of people who had stopped speaking that I knew of, um, I'd read something about from Eugene Peterson about how uh, he stopped speaking uh, or didn't do much speaking because of the danger it was to his spiritual life, that it would actually wreck him spiritually. Uh, I never forgot that, but I didn't, I didn't feel that in terms of wrecking me spiritually. But um, I did sense, again, so wise counsel. I had to get some counsel from people. <laughs> and uh, so I had folks who were things like people like, of course, my publisher, uh, you have a wonderful relationship with our publisher, Zondervan, and it's part of HarperCollins, and uh, great people. And uh, we've been in relation for, gosh, almost 20 years now. And of course, they would like me to speak um, because that's kind of the model, right, of publishing and all that. Uh, but again, never any pressure from them. And uh, I knew one or two folks who were, I knew what they're, uh, who were kind of sense, quote, consultants or folks who had built ministries who would say, of course, you should do that, Pete. But it's interesting how the wise counsel from my board, we were a very godly board at EH Discipleship, very discerning, um, was always in the direction of, no, Pete, writing is your best contribution, you know, mentoring is a, is a best contribution. Uh, and uh, I think in terms of their discernment, uh, was always in the direction of less travel, for sure, uh, as I was doing less each year anyway. And then Ruth, who's the executive director of Emotionally Healthy Discipleship, she runs it as only, she, was the only, she has been the only full-time employee for the last eight years. She oversees a part-time contract team. And for her, it was always a hassle, speaking engagements, in terms of what it would do to uh, just the, I guess, the, the folks who work for her in terms of time invested in it. And I, I, I knew from her that it was never... Uh, a, a great joy to her or her team. Uh, and then, of course, Jerry, uh, you know, we never really talked about it in the sense of I got to decide this or that. But I, I knew from a marriage point viewpoint and uh, where she stood that 
this was never going to be top of her list. Although she occasionally loved to go travel. We would speak together quite often, almost all the time. Uh, and she enjoyed it. Uh, but really what's interesting is that, the, 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 but nobody quite gave me the counsel to write that statement the way I did it, which was just stop speaking completely. Um, but the wise counsel direction in general was clearly uh, moved me in the in this direction of, uh, you know, just stop and uh, be very clear about your priorities. Now, the fourth question, the first question is to what degree am I open to the will of God? The second is, what do I sense God, the Holy Spirit, saying from inside of me? Consolations, desolations. The third is, what's, what's wise counsel saying? What am I hearing there? And question four is, what do I learn from the Ignatian two alternative trial run? Now, this is my title for it. What do I learn from the Ignatian two, two alternative trial run? Uh, actually, I learned this from David Benner in his application of Ignatian spirituality. Uh, and actually, I recommend this to people all the time. And here's what, here's what that basically, here's what that looks like. First is you write down the two alternatives. Uh, generally, this is used best when you have two options. And you make a list, you do two things. One, you make a list of pros and cons. And then secondly, you imagine taking choice one, and then you imagine taking choice two. So let me, let, me, let me break that apart. So you make a list of pros and cons. In other words, you do the research and you ask questions, which just takes time. What's the pros and cons of each choice? So for me, I made a pros. Okay, if I keep speaking, what's the pros? Well, the word gets out, more churches will do the course. Uh, looks like it'll be more effective in transforming church cultures, at least short term. You know, what are some of the cons? Uh, I may not mentor well if I do that, if I'm traveling. Probably won't write a high quality marriage book. Because uh, I'm sure I'm not going to, you know, or the danger that I could end up working more than I want to work uh, and not be a good model of what I'm preaching. Uh, it's probably not good for this, this season of our marriage. It's a lot of noise uh, in EHD and our small team, and it could really affect the quality of what we're offering uh, in the vault, for example, as churches are implementing the course and as we provide more and more materials, a level one, level two training, et cetera, et cetera. Okay, then what are the pros and cons if I stopped external speaking? Well, the pros are things like I'll do quality mentoring, the book will be better quality, I'll, and when I have more time to pray and ponder before God, which means God will say more to me. The cons are, well, if I stop external speaking, I could be very lonely because I'm an extrovert. Uh, I'll get less feedback and interaction uh, from people about what's going on. I could become isolated, uh, et cetera. So, then, so I make a list of pros and cons. You do all that work. And secondly, you, you imagine taking each choice for a period of, again, depending on the size of the, of, of the largeness of the, of the choice decision, you live into it. In other words, you make, okay, I made a decision. I am going to uh, accept whatever, 15 speaking engagements a year, or 10 speaking engagements a year. Imagine I take that choice and I'm doing some traveling and I live into it and I imagine it. Um, uh, and I listen to consolations, desolations from within, the movement of the Holy Spirit inside of me. So I do that for a couple of weeks. And then I imagine it, I make the choice of I'm not going to do any more external speaking. Uh, I'm going to write the statement I, on my website, on the website. And, uh, and then I live into that for three to four weeks. And I listen to consolations, desolations, and I, the movement of the Holy Spirit inside of me. And every time I did this, uh, my goodness, it was like, that Ignatian two alternatives uh, trial run, uh, boy, it was it was unquestionably uh, the decision to no more external speaking. 
uh, pull in. And uh, here I am today. Now, here's the fifth question, and that's this. Uh, what is the raw material God has given me that is in my true self? What does that raw material say about this decision? Question five is, what is the raw material God has given me say about this decision? So here's, again, let me just review the questions in order. So they're all important. They come at it from a different angle. The first is, to what degree, first question is, to what degree in a scale of one to 10 am I open to the will of God? The second is, what, what do I sense God the Holy Spirit saying from inside of me through consolations and desolations? The third question is, what am I hearing from wise counsel? The fourth is, what do I learn from the Ignatian to alternative uh, trial run? And the fifth is, what does the raw material God has given me, the true self, say about this decision? Now, everything has a nature to it. Uh, every one of us, we're made in the image of God, but we're made of raw material. That raw material has limits and potentials. I, uh, think of a potter works with clay. Clay is a certain kind of material. An engineer works with maybe wood uh, to build a bridge, or maybe he or she is working with steel or a stone. But each material has to be worked with differently. And so in the same way, God's made me with certain raw material, and he made you with certain raw material. I call my true self in Jesus. And there, so there are some things I... People think I, we think we should do or ought to do. They're just not, they don't correspond to our true nature given by God. And when we try to be somebody we're not, we often call that a false self. Another big core theme of EH discipleship. When I try to be someone I'm not, I'm crossing God. I'm in a bad place. Now, I've gotten in a lot of trouble over the years by skipping over this fifth question. Uh, I've worn other people's faces, uh, fear being left behind. I think of church planting in my early years the kind of church planter I should be. When I was building our church, uh, kind of got, you know, getting caught up in what I should be as a pastor, the kind of pastor that I should be as a quote, whether it was a CEO or uh, building big numbers and a bigger building and all that. And I struggle with being a loser. Uh, and yet I was called to Queens as a multiracial working class environment, uh, you know, doing it in two languages in my early years and just you know, my, my, and I got in a lot of trouble by not embracing the raw material of my life. I remember we, we were planting churches and we planted, you know, four or five churches the first six years in two languages. And I was quote, you know, like the bishop or apostle. And I realized I didn't like it. Um, and EH discipleship, it saved my life because I began to discover and listen to the raw material of who I am, who God made me to be. And I love Parker Palmer says it well, before you tell your life what you intend to do with it, Listen for what it intends to do with you. Uh, in other words, vocation, he writes, does not come from willf willfulness. It comes from listening to my life. So even now in EH Discipleship, we're a nonprofit and we serve the church around the world. That's our mission statement, to transform church culture through multiplying deeply changed leaders and disciples. So I'm the founder um, and I should be, quote, the CEO but my raw material is such that I'm not a CEO. It's just not who I'm built. You know, I'm, so I move my title. I'm a chief visionary officer and the chief content officer. Uh, and so that means that other people got to do other things because it's just not who I am. And I'm not going to let myself get caught up in that. So even being the, uh, the traveling face of EH discipleship, which I, I should do, I just realized, no, uh, that's not who God made me be. And so as I review those five questions, I realized... I cannot do this, and uh, I cannot not do this, which is I cannot not write, uh, and I cannot not mentor uh, some key people. And so it's been liberating and wonderful. 
let me just make three notes from questions that come up all the time. The first is this. Listen, relax. I mean, God, uh, in the abundance of his mercy and grace, he is the shepherd. and He is more committed to guiding and leading you than you are to discerning his will. So we can relax in the fact that he is the Lord. He loves you. Uh, way more than you love yourself, and he is going to lead you. And so you can bank on that, not your ability to hear and figure this all out. The second thing is around prophetic words. Uh, I believe in prophetic words. They confirm our discernment process. They don't negate the work that we must do, as First John 4 writes, which is to discern the spirits to whether they are of God or not. And these five questions are helpful to discern what is the spirit of God saying versus uh, the enemy. And then thirdly, just take your time. Discernment is a process. Uh, it is just waiting on the Lord, not rushing is key. Uh, two times uh, over my life, I had very interesting moments where everything seemed to line up uh, to make a decision uh, from people I respected, but they were they were just way ahead of time. They didn't they didn't see the big picture only God could see. And so I just waited and some more and it became clear. Um, that, that their timing was way off on that one. And so I just take your time and don't rush. Now, listen, we've made a high-level application here of these five questions to help you in your decision-making today. I want to encourage you and invite you to lay a foundation by downloading that free course preview of the EH Discipleship course with a video and workbook and experience it yourself. Again, just go to emotionallyhealthy.org slash preview. And so I want to close with a minute of silence before the Lord. I want to invite you to close your eyes, take a nice deep breath, and you know, maybe put your palms up towards heaven and surrender of your will, of, of your day, of your evening, wherever you are right now, in whatever time zone you're in, to surrender to God who loves you um, truly with an everlasting love. And uh, let's wait on him and commune with him and be with him out of which he says he will guide us. Let's begin. Amen, everybody. God bless you and have a wonderful, wonderful day.